The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. So as we've already talked about, Scott, I almost called you Pastor Scott. Uh, Scott had mentioned, uh, we're kind of jumping into a new series. It's called Behind the Music. And the whole heart behind this, even as Scott had mentioned, is how do we take uh, some time to intentionally work through what we say? Do, are we aware of the songs we sing? Are we even aware that music is powerful? And I think if we stop for a minute and really think about our day-to-day, music is kind of a powerful reality. I think it's a, it's a, a huge motivator. It's a huge influential thing. In my house alone, if you're anything like my house, maybe you are. I've got two kiddos with one on the way in April. Uh, my third child is due. We don't know what it is. I think I've already mentioned this to you. Uh, and my wife and I are still in marriage counseling for that. Um, she was going to be here, but I told her to stay home. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true at all. Um, I had to come. I had to die to myself just to be totally transparent and not find out. So uh, this is where I'm learning to submit and serve my wife as Christ would serve the church. Uh, and so I had to eat up my pride a little bit and just say, okay, babe, we'll wait till the dude or the, this baby's born to find out what it is. So I don't know what it is, and I'm still a little bitter about it, but God's working on my heart in that. So, um, but I've got two little kids right now, a six-year-old who's almost seven in July and a two-year-old who's almost three in May. Uh, our house is a proverbial musical. It is a nonstop musical between me, because here's the thing. You know how you grow up, and, and you guys are just going to laugh at me because you think I'm some young punk kid. Um, when, you, when you grow up and you're like, I'm never going to do that. My dad is just weird. I'm never going to make up songs. Oh, that's solely not true. I'm making up songs for days about the, the weirdest and randomest things in all the world, uh, and my kids don't bat an eye at it. And I'm actually thankful my wife doesn't make fun of me for it, because I'd probably be a little more insecure. But the reality is, our house is an ongoing musical. Whether it's uh, my son who's going through this Toy Story phase, uh, and I'll be honest with you, I'm a little heartbroken that he's more interested in Toy Story 4 and Forky than he is Toy Story 1, 2, and 3, the originals. Now, that's Toy Story. This little spork, I'm not interested in. But my son is. So we enjoy Toy Story 4. We did that on Valentine's Day. We had a time in as a family. Uh, I made a little fort where I put a sheet all over the ceiling and the wall. Uh, We brought the cushions on the floor, and we turned on Toy Story 4. And my kids were glued as we bought the heart-shaped Papa Murphy's pizza and just hung out having a picnic, watching a movie. Um, It's the simple things, right? Sometimes with kids... It's not always about, hey, here's a babysitter, mom and dad are going to go out, but I also think there's value and understanding, there's love to be shared and celebrated. Anyways, I'm just rambling now, but at this point, we're watching Toy Story 4, and my son is just in love. He, he has a, he, we got him a, a little Woody dog, we bought him a, a Buzz Lightyear at Christmas, we got him a little Woody, so they talk to one another, and he, he literally is holding his, his Woody doll and saying, you've got a friend in me, singing that song, you got a friend in me and then playing with them together. And so we sing the song, You Got a Friend in Me, all the time. I'm not going to sing it for you now because I want you to stay and endure. But that's one of the things. But then my little, my little girl is, is big, back, she's back into Frozen. Anybody have like your daughter or your sons were into Frozen when it first came out and then it kind of trailed off? And then Frozen 2 came around and my daughter only wants Frozen 2 stuff now? So Into the Unknown is a big song in my house right now where it's this major dramatic ordeal. Uh, I took my daughter to the father-daughter dance, and the first thing she says to me, I can say this because she's not here. She's like, Dad, I don't know what to do. I'm like, baby, just dance. I don't know how. So I told her, because here's the thing. She choreographs her dance moves. 
She watches the movie and acts them out. So when Into the Unknown, she's like, Into the Unknown, like it's this major dramatic deal for her. So when she goes to a father-daughter dance and she sees all this dance, she's like, no one's teaching me how to dance. Who am I supposed to copy? When they get to like the cha-cha slide and uh, the, the, the YMCA and the different songs, like that, she's like, okay, I'm in. So I had to grab her hands and say, okay, baby, let's go. And I just started shaking and dancing with her. And from that moment on, she was good. Uh, so I think I scored some good dad points there. But uh, the music is a very big deal in my house. And I'm pretty sure it's a big deal in your house. Music is a powerful thing. We have our go-to playlist, don't we? We're like either our car playlist, like, okay, I got to put that on my Spotify or Apple Music, or maybe you still have your mixtapes you pop in. That's awesome. I remember that. I grew up doing that. Like, I want this. Or I remember I figured how to record songs from movies onto a cassette tape so I could have all the movie songs I wanted. But we have our go-to playlist. And the, the funny thing is, depending on how we feel in the moment is the songs we choose, right? I remember as a kid when I'd be really angry, I'd, learn, I'd listen to some, like, rock music. And sometimes, it'd be, most times it'd be Christian music. And there's Christian rock, even though it doesn't sound like the two things could coexist. They do. Creed, oh, bro. <laughs> we'll, we'll pray. I'll pray for you later. But we have our go-to music. Uh, I, I debated whether to share this or not based upon time, but I'm just going to do it anyways. Um, my wife and I were married for about a month. We lived in Spokane. We were driving back over to the west side because I was getting ready to perform my first wedding for one of my former coworkers, which was a big, a big feat in of itself. But somehow along the ways, which I know this never happens in your marriages, but mine, like we miscommunicate. Or we misread and interpret things that are never meant to be there. And whatever happened, I remember she said something I took as if she's scolding me. And then I got really mad. So I gave her the silent treatment. And we're having to drive about four and a half hours to, to Bellevue to stay with her parents. For two and a half of those hours, there was no talking. All because I interpreted something and she interpreted something and we just did not talk about it. So for two and a half hours, we're driving in this car across the state. We're pulling into Vantage area. If you've ever driven 90 to that area, we're pulling into Vantage from Spokane, Moses Lake, the Gorge, uh, that area. And she turns on worship music. Music is powerful unless you rebel against it. I'm sitting there driving. Just to let you in for a second. I'm driving. She turns on. I'm not doing nothing. Like it raises this like arrogance and pride inside of me when it's supposed to like soften my heart and let me become a little bit more humble. Nope, I took it the other way. I said, Psh, you can break the ice. I'm not doing it. And I, you know how you posture yourself? I'm totally posturing myself away because I'm just this arrogant jerk. One month into my marriage, it was awesome. But it's interesting to me how often we leverage music without realizing it. When we're angry, what kind of music do we turn on? When we're happy, what kind of music do we turn on? There's something about trolls and can't stop this feeling that I can't help but dance to. <laughs> My wife's favorite song, and they play this at the father-daughter dance, is shut up and dance with me. Not because of the lyrics, but because she can look at me and just tell me to be quiet and dance with her. Because I'm not a dancer. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like a closet bedroom dancer where no one's watching. Unless I'm with my daughter and then I have to eat my pride up a little bit and be like, okay, I look like an idiot, but okay. But it's the one time she can just tell me, just come dance with me. It's interesting to me that music can be so powerful. 
Even today, even this week, as I was preparing this message, driving down from my house to be a part of Snohomish today, I had come that fount on repeat. There's something significant about music, and God created it. So how are we leveraging what God created in our daily lives? It's even more interesting to think that music can be one of the most divisive conversations, not just in the world as we know it, but in the church as well. I remember the complaints when I grew, growing up in church. Well, we always sing that song. Where's all the hymns? We just did a hymn. You're welcome. But I remember all this tension surrounded about music as if we forgot why we're singing the songs we're singing. Well, I can worship God better to my stuff. Then put your Spotify playlist on and put your earbuds in. Let's just worship God together. But it's amazing to me how divisive music can be as well. But God created it. Why did he create it? To turn our hearts to celebrate the author of creativity. God who created the world, the universe, spoke it into existence. Also created music so we could celebrate his creativity and be reminded of who he is. So what do we do when we don't understand what we're singing? And why am I spending so much time talking about music is because this is the heart of the series for you and I today. That over the next several weeks, we're going to spend time working through different songs that have shaped church culture throughout church history. Why? Because it all points to one thing. The God who created you and I. The God who loves you and I. The God whose grace is so amazing that it transforms us when we let it take its rightful place and fulfill its rightful purpose. Music is not something new, but I think something that can, we can often misunderstand. And it's not just an opinion, it's also a biblical perspective. See, the Bible is full of music being leveraged for God's glory. In the Old Testament, as the nation of Israel organizes into people groups and establishes rules early on, there's a whole group of people who are serving the tabernacle at that time, which is also known as the temple, which is where God's presence resided, the whole serve, they were all called and categorized as musicians. We see uh, throughout the entire book of the Bible, the entire book of the Bible is given to it, but not just the book of Psalms, but also in the New Testament, also in other parts of the Old Testament. We sing songs as an ability to express our thanks and love and heartbreak before God. There's even some incredible stories about how powerful music can be. And in 1 Samuel 16, I want to read this for us because this in and of itself shows the power of music to soothe one's soul with this interaction between David and Saul. It says this, starting in verse 14 of chapter 16 in 1 Samuel. It says, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. That's a sad story to begin with. Saul, who all of a sudden did things that were not honorable to God, it says that he was now rejected. The spirit of the Lord had left Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Which again, much more conversation to this. It says, Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who could play the lyre. He will play with the, when the evil spirit comes on you and you will feel better. They already had an understanding of the power of music. Verse 17, so Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem 
who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking young man. Speaks like, it sounds like me almost, minus the playing thing. It says, and the Lord is with him. Verse 19, then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them to be, sent them with his son David to, to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Then the kicker here, whenever the Spirit of God from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. This is an incredible example of how powerful music can be. It's incredible to think, and I've seen it play out in my own life, in those moments of high stress, in those moments of being overwhelmed, in those moments of feeling discouraged and defeated and, and, and overwhelmed. One of my old friends in college used to call it the Aaron, Aaron theology is what she called I don't know why she called that. She's just weird. But what it was is I literally, in those moments of high stress or writing a 10-page paper the night before it's due because I was really good at procrastinating, I would stop in those moments of being overwhelmed and I would turn, and I'd have worship music playing the entire time. I'd stop, turn on my favorite worship song and sit back. Okay, Lord, you know what I need. I'm going to give you a few minutes. Help me crank out this paper. All the while, I think God in his wisdom is like, you're a moron, Aaron. Just do the work in due time so you don't have to wait till 10-page papers due the night before. But you know the beauty of God's grace is even when we make stupid choices, he still meets us. That even when we push off and push off and push off what we know we should be doing, God still meets us. So I'm sitting there the night before my 10-page paper is due, having written three paragraphs that accumulated to maybe a fourth of the page, three-fourths of the page. I'd stop. I'd invite the Holy Spirit to minister and speak to my heart. Then I'd regroup, buckle down, stay up till one, two in the morning to crank it out, print it off. I'd never proofread it, which was always a bad thing for me because then I got grades marked down for it, but I completed the paper. And it's not to say you should just procrastinate because I'm learning not to procrastinate, but it's to say that God in his grace is so, so gracious. <laughs> like he's, there's no other way to say it. He cares. That's the beauty of this song that we get to break down for a few moments today. Come Thou Fount was written in 1758 by a guy named Robert Robinson. And in order to really understand this song or this hymn, I don't know why I'm going to call it a psalm, just give me grace there. But I think it's important to hear the backstory of the author and why he wrote it. And so I have two paragraphs I want to read. They should be on the screen behind me so you can read along. But it says this, written by Robert Robinson. He was what you would call an unruly child. Some of you have unruly children. This is hope for you. Some of you are unruly children. This is grace for you. It says that only eight years old, his father died. And he was raised by his loving mother. In spite of Robert's intellectual giftedness, he had a penchant for mischief. Some of you are already putting other names to this. Robert's mother sent him off for an apprenticeship when he was only 14. But once he got out of the home, his life got worse. Instead of working and learning, 
Robert chose drinking, gambling, and carousing with the wrong crowd. Caught up in his reckless life, Robert and his friends decided to go to an evangelist meeting one night just to heckle the preacher, George Whitfield. George Whitfield. Some of you here to heckle me? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sitting in that meeting, however, Robert felt as if the words of the preacher were meant for him alone. He couldn't shake the feeling that God wanted him to surrender his life and serve him. When he was 20, Robinson gave his life to God and entered the Christian ministry. At age 22, he wrote the song, Come Thou Fount, for his church's Pentecostal celebration. It was written as his own spiritual story, a story of pursuing pleasure and joy and only experiencing it when Jesus sought me. Millions of believers can relate to Robinson's testimony. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And the glorious testimony, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. The story behind these lyrics is powerful. The story behind these lyrics is personal. The story behind these lyrics is relevant for you and I today. The language in this hymn may not be relevant today because we don't understand it. But the story carries more meaning. And as we break down, I just want to literally take the next few moments and break this this hymn apart. Break down the thoughts so we can understand it. Because here's the deal. I really do believe there's a point of response that you and I are going to be drawn to. To not only recognize the fact that our hearts are prone to wander. But also to recognize the fact that God's grace meets us in our wandering. And there's value in stopping and inviting the Holy Spirit to once again bind our hearts back to him. And so I just want to break this down for us for a few moments. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. The fount is the Lord, just so you know. It's not a fountain, which I always thought it was. But it's this picture of the Lord who God, or Jesus himself says, streams of living water will well up inside of those who are his. It's this invitation to make you and I, to make Robert sensitive to God's grace. Have you ever forgotten God's grace in your day-to-day life? Have you ever become hard-hearted towards God's grace? You know, an easy litmus test for that is think of the one person you can't stand. How do you respond to them? That's how God responds to us. No, it's not actually. God responds in grace. Oftentimes we get so caught up with people and how they're behaving that we lose sight of who they are. Robert came to this moment where he invited God to keep him sensitive to the grace he's receiving. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Singing is an expression. It's a response. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. It's this recognition of the depth of God's mercy should compel us to not be silent. How easy it is to stop for a moment and think personally like, oh yeah, I need God's mercy. God, you're so good. But yet we be quiet about the mercy we've received and the mercy we're receiving. Robert Robinson's reminding you and I today that we need to daily invite the Lord to tune our hearts to his grace so we will not be silent and offer it freely. He continues on 
teach me some melodious sonnet. This is like Shakespeare. This is where I, I, had, I struggled to understand. Sung by flaming tongues above. It's like he's saying, if I could only have the perspective of the angels as they sing. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. Standing confidently on the rock of Christ is this mount of redemption. Think of this, the first verse, Robert Robinson, who's a lost soul, is now grateful for God's redeeming love. Verse 2 says this, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here, there, by thy great help I've come. Without first understanding this conversation of Ebenezer, because if you're like me, I think Ebenezer Scrooge, and that's not a good picture. I don't, I don't know why. Call my frail humanity. Every time I hear this line, without understanding what Ebenezer is, I literally think of Ebenezer Scrooge. Scrooge. So then I think of a humbug, which is not very much what praising God is all about. So, without, so this word Ebenezer, I want to I bring clarity to this. It's two Hebrew words together, Eben and Ezer. Go figure, right? Ebenezer. And it literally means stone of help. We see uh, that in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, it says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. It's the stone of help. What he's raising in this moment is a recognition of, God, I need your help. It's a recognition that God is the one who helps us. It's a recognition that God is the one who comes to us. It's the recognition Here I raise my Ebenezer. It's my call to you, God, that I need your help today. And it doesn't just end in a call. It it reflects and reminds us that God is answering that call through his son, Jesus. When you first understand the word Ebenezer and what it means, it actually brings a lot more clarity to what he's saying. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here by thy great help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. He's talking about eternity that he gets to enjoy as being one of God's children. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. It talks about the pursuit of God through Christ on the cross, his death and resurrection, that you and I are no longer held captive by sin, but we are now free to be his child and to live freely. Understanding that we can't accomplish what God has asked us to. We are not perfect. We are imperfect beings, and we need the help of a Savior. So daily we are to raise an Ebenezer. Now you should go get, get an, a rock and name it Ebenezer and put it somewhere you can see it every day. Make that a practical thing. Go ahead and do that. Maybe you have a rock in your yard. I I don't know, but there's got to be something that reminds us daily to raise a call for help, to then be reminded that God in in Christ's death and resurrection has interposed his blood so you and I no longer are bound and limited by sin, but we have freedom because of Jesus. It causes us to reflect back on that grace, which again, I hope, causes us to shout at, at the top of our lungs of the goodness of a God who loves us. I love this line. It says, he who who interposes precious blood, literally putting himself between us and the Father's righteous wrath against sin. 
He stood between the wrath against sin from God and us. He shielded us. He protects us. He redeemed us. So now we're seen as righteous and worthy and welcome to be a part of God's family. Verse 3 that I don't think we sang this morning says, Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. This verse literally points heavenward, points to eternity. It's a longing and an anticipation of what's to come. We finished out the year in this Home for Christmas series talking about eternity, talking about where you and I are headed, and do we understand and value heaven as our home. In verse 3, Robert Robinson's doing the same thing. He's taking time to remind us about where we're going and the eternity we have to hold to. Clothed then in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy wondrous grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Take my ransomed soul away. Send thine angels now to carry me to, uh, me to realms of endless day. He's saying, God, take, come quickly and take me home. It's that you hear these words of Paul. It says to die is, is to gain. To be with Christ is to gain. The best that we have here is it fails in comparison to what's coming in the new heavens and the new earth. And then final verse four, many of us, if we've been in church for very long, we've heard this verse and we remember this verse. And it's one of the most, for me, one of the most convicting and challenging verses. It says, oh, to grace, how great a a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Simply put, God, I need your grace today. May there never be a day you and I go without first recognizing our need for grace. Let that goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. The picture of a fetter is, is a chain attached at the ankle that has a weight to it. I remember when I first got married, a lot of people were talking about, oh, you got a ball and chain finally. Which if you really think about it for a minute, it's a really negative thing to say about your spouse. For whatever reason, guys, we think it's like, in guy circles, we used to think it's really funny. Ball and chain, this is my ball and chain. But the reality is, the ball and chain that you and I carry, it's called a fetter. And it should anchor us to grace. It changes the way we walk. It limits the wandering of our hearts and souls. God in his mercy desires to keep us rooted. Why? Because the next part of the verse says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Can you resonate with that today? In the pursuit of the world we live in, in the pursuit of success-oriented business, in the pursuit of friendships and relationships, in the pursuit of not wanting to be alone, in navigating our greatest fears, we're prone to wander. Which is why Robert Robinson says, bind my heart like a fetter to your goodness and your grace. I've never had one of those ankle bracelets attached to a ball on, which is a good thing. But I can imagine how difficult it would be to go somewhere. Every now and then my kids 
who I love like crazy, decided to sit on my feet. And it's fun because I, I reflect, reflect back to my childhood when I was a kid and my dad would let me sit on his feet and he'd just tr- stomp around the house. But the reality is when there's two little munchkins sitting on my feet, you know how difficult it is to move? Mainly because I'm concerned that if I move too quickly, one of them's going to fall over and bonk their head and that'll ruin the fun and then I'll feel like a bad dad because I wasn't careful. But it's this heaviness with which I have to strategically and intentionally move. I have to be mindful of where I'm putting my feet because their little limbs like to dangle under my feet. When I pick up my foot, I have to be mindful of where I'm balancing my weight from because it's not like I can just walk quickly. When we let God's grace be what we anchor our lives to, it changes how we walk. It changes what we go to. Some of us have been in this church thing for a long time. We've had a relationship with Jesus for a long time, but we still find ourselves wandering back to the bar. We still find ourselves wandering back to things that are not godly or are not honorable. They're not grace-filled. And your heart could align with Robert's say, bind my heart like a fetter to your grace today. And maybe you're here today and you're struggling to find strength to overcome. This was Robert's life. He was partying, he was drinking, he was carousing with the wrong crowd until he came to church one day to heckle a preacher and God spoke directly to his heart and said, I want you to surrender to me. I want you to attach this chain and this weight that is grace to provide you with freedom, to say no to the things that you say yes to all the time, to find security, to find stability, I believe for you today, as I've thought and prayed and dreamt about what this morning looks like for you, is that you wouldn't just hear a great story about a a hymn and a song we sing, but that you would come face to face with a God who loves you like crazy, that his grace is extravagant, it's beautiful, it's powerful, and all it requires is us to say, okay, Lord, I'll accept it. Have you ever had someone push something on you? Totally ruin the moment. I'm a Cowboys fan. Many of you know that. I have a lot of Seahawks fans trying to push the Seahawks on me to become a Seahawks fan. And I'm prideful, okay? So I'm not gonna give in to that invitation. And they won't relent. You Seahawks fans, leave me alone. But the beauty is God's grace is is exactly that same way. He believes so desperately in you that he'll never stop pushing his grace on you. All it takes is, okay, fine, I give in. Okay, fine, I'm going to surrender to God's grace. Okay, fine, Lord, you win. I heard a phrase a few weeks ago. that the decision was just to be all in. 
we just went all in with this system and strategy. We just went all in with this idea. How many times do we come in halfway with grace? I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust you with the little things. I'm gonna trust you with a few things. I'm gonna trust you with my marriage, maybe. I'm gonna trust you with some of these things that I, I, I think you can handle. And if you don't handle well, then I'm okay because I won't be disappointed. But there's this moment where it's just a matter of will you decide to go all in? Will you decide to no longer do the half step, the half heartedness and just say, God, I'm in? Whatever it looks like. If living according to your grace means I need to, to wake up earlier and lose sleep and read your Bible and study you and pray and sing these songs and worship and be a part of church, engage in serving, jump in a life group, whatever it takes, Lord, I'm gonna jump all in on this thing. That's allowing God's grace to ratchet around. Now, those things are not answers. Those are empowerers to God's truth. They help you understand God's truth a little better than as if you were to try and figure it out on your own. Being in a church community, being in a church family is valuable. It's important. We're, we're admonished not to give up meeting together somewhere in the habit of doing. We talk about communities and life groups all the time because we believe discipleship happens best in the context of a life group. We say we're circles, uh, well, rows become circles is what life group is about. We can come here and sit in rows all we want. But it's where life groups, where we come into a circle environment, where we're willing to look each other face to face and have honest dialogue about what God is doing, about what the message is saying, where we lean in to the conversation. There's some of us today we simply need to allow this ball and chain of God's grace to be attached to our ankles. Because when we allow God's grace to flood our lives, I believe it's Titus that says it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us to say no. Some of us just need to learn to say no by saying yes to grace. See, the beauty of this, this hymn, it's this confession where it says, here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. See that for thy, thy courts above. This last verse, for me, is one of the most challenging and convicting. Because it's, God, where am I forgetting about your grace? My kids come in, interrupt my Bible reading, I'm quick to snap, which is really kind of productive there. My kids interrupt what I want to do. My coworkers interrupt what I'm in the middle of. The driver cuts me off. My boss is demanding things of me that I don't like. It's not that they're wrong, but I just don't like them. It just means I have to do more stuff. How easy it is to think as number one, it filters through me, when really our lives are meant to be a response and a song of God's grace extended freely to us. Here's my question for you today. Where do you find your heart wandering? When did you first encounter God's grace? Was it as a child? Was it recently? Was it in the last decade or two? Why did you respond to God's grace when you first encountered it? 
And what does it look like for you to, to live from that place? Not go back to that, but live from that place. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Interesting about what does this look like to wrap up and close this service. I don't have an answer. What I would like to do is I'd like Jordan just to kind of lead us back through that fourth verse there. Um, and as he sings it, here's my heart, here's my prayer for you, is that it can become a confession. That it's not just a great song or a great line that you can tweet or throw up on your Insta, but that it becomes a, a mantra with which we live from. So can we just take the next minute or so as Jordan leads us and respond? in worship for a few moments. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.